Loud from the booth, one, two. Loud from the booth, what it do. Salutations, greetings, and welcome to it. This is Two Second Round Picks in a Fax Machine and Loud Booth Podcast Presentation. <laughs> Happy New Year to you, man. Like, we pray you made it in well. You know, it wasn't an easy transition coming from the year we had, you know, knowing that we had to come through and still face a lot of things that we had dealt with already last year, you know. And even as a basketball fraternity, you know, we're largely affected by COVID, you know. So having to go through that coming into the season, and though it's a shortened season by 10 games, you know, so the competitive balance is affected, you know, still not having the fans in there, some of the injuries and the moves. It's, it's made it a bit, a bit more interesting than, than probably may have been, you know, <laughs> knowing that a lot of teams actually had to do a, business you know under a certain a certain time limitation you know and that was good to see across the board and for some teams it hasn't always worked out well or hasn't worked out well yet you know knowing that they've had to make changes and that ad- adaptation period has to not come in right it's a bidding in period you know having to adjust to all all the the new infrastructure talking about coaching talking about player personnel you know it's a lot you know so I could understand how those type of teams who have had changes in, in coaching and changes in star players could be struggling to adjust, but a team like the Denver Nuggets who didn't have a change in coaching, didn't have a change in, in upper management, didn't have a change in star players in that sense. If anything, we expect their players to have an uptick in performance based on what they did last year in the Western Conference Finals, right? So in episode 10, we'd like, it's a coming of age period for Denver pardon me and last year we saw the signs of it where you have to first get there to win there is what we've always been taught in many spheres of life right is that you can't you can't sit there and say like oh i'm gonna win a ship if you've never been to a finals you know you can't you can't sit there and be like i'm gonna win a grammy if you've never been in conversation to be nominated or putting yourself in a conversation or, or working towards that in that sense right or, or aware of what it's gonna take right so i think for the nugs they, they're conscious of that in that regard where you have Joker, you have Murray, you have you have a two you have a two man combination that works pretty well together where you have a guard and a big that play well off of each other, where you have like a scoring guard and a playmaking big who they could both grow defensively, I feel, yet they still score for growth in this season already, right? The start of the season hasn't been easy for them. I mean, knowing that last season they finished third in the West with a forty six and twenty seven record. They lost in the Western Conference Finals, you know, 4-1 to the Lakers. We eventually won the ring. It's like, yeah, even though that's the eventual champions and the would-be champions for y'all, I guess, Mac 4-1, we can take that knowing that most people didn't have you going to the finals in the West anyway, right? So you probably didn't have yourself down to go to the finals in the West this, this past season, yet in your timeline, somewhere in an optimistic world, you had yourself going to the Western Conference Finals within the next three seasons if you had hopes of winning a ring right now on the Jamal Murray and Joker timeline, right? So you would think that they would do the type of business that would allow them to do that. Yet at the same time, they had the whole, the growth and the breakout of Michael Porter Jr., you know, rising into who I know who he may be, who's an actual superstar. It made the, it gave them pause for concern, right? To say, okay, now is, do we go all in on that being our big three or do we make trade, do we make moves, right? And I think they, they kind of pussyfooted and stuck in between both where... To be honest, in free agency and in the draft, it was like you are literally saying we're going to go with this while keeping our powder dry for maybe a superstar being on the market and wanted to come here. Instead of being proactive, you're going to be reactive. 
and that kind of culminates in your season starting at three and five right now, bro. You know, because in the West, it's like we're not saying a hot start is going to predictate you finishing in the playoffs this season or any season. Yet you can't afford to be behind the eight ball and have a lot of work to do with teams that are better than you in and around the picture, right? Because then it means that you're going to have to knock one of them off that peg or they're going to have to fall off that rung and you're going to still have to ascend. That gives you a lot more work to do, right? Instead of you do you and you can only improve from there. Because the Suns have started well. The Clippers are going to be the Clips. The Lakers are going to Lake. The Jazz, I feel, are going to be the Jazz and they're always going to be in the playoffs or they're about, right? The Pelicans did enough business to be in that conversation. They've started well enough. The Mavs should improve from last season. The Blazers should be back in that conversation this season. That makes up your current top seven, right? With the San Antonio Spurs, Warriors, Kings, and Thunder all in that conversation and above the Nugs, you're sitting there thinking, damn, bro, at the very least, between the Spurs and the Warriors, I see one of them being in the conversation for that play-in because I don't think the Kings or the Thunder are good enough for that. But in the same breath, I don't think Denver should want to be in a conversation of having to play in against the Warriors or the Spurs. You don't really match up well against those teams where, yes, your bigs can go crazy against Golden State, but it's like they got Wiseman now. They can throw Pascal and, and, and Draymond at you. It ain't going to be as easy as you think, and Jamal can still get locked down by Oubre, you know what I'm saying? So it ain't going to be as sweet as you think, right? Against the Spurs, it's kind of like Dedo, bro, where the Spurs have bodies to throw at y'all on both sides of the court. So honest regard, bro, you're going to have to knock off either the Pelicans, the Mavs, or the Blazers or actually get above the Jazz to finish fourth. Because the Suns are going to be good enough to be in that conversation. The Clips, like we said, the Lakers, like we said, it's going to be tough out west this season, right? And to start 3-5 and five ain't going to cut, especially knowing that your room for growth was starting the season. As in, if in the first 7-10 to 10 games we don't see your perceived room for growth, then it's not going to be what you think it is this season. Or it's not going to come until later. And you may not have later, because if by the time you reach play-in and you need Michael Porter Jr. to basically be a borderline all-star player again, then we're in trouble, bro. We need to see that right now. And we're not putting pressure on the kid, but I think even infrastructure-wise, are you putting the support structure around him to allow for that? You know, you don't have the the best other pieces, you know, right now in that team. I'm looking at it from my perspective, right? Where when you look at when you look at what you used to have before and what you have now, yeah, aside aside from Jamal Murray and, you know, Michael Porter Jr. and then you have Joker up top. What else do you really have in that ball club, bro? You know, across the board, what else do you really have in that ball club? So it's something you have to sit down and consider as Denver going forward saying, yo, bro, some changes are going to have to be made and it's going to start with you valuing what you did this offseason as a starting piece and then extrapolate upon that going into the further part of the season, right? Because they drafted pretty well taking RJ Hampton um, with the, what was it, the 24th pick. I mean, it was a shock that he was still available with the 24th pick because that's a kid who some mock drafts had, you know, as a lottery pick, right? And then I think that whole going out to the ABA in Australia, it may have affected his draft stock, you know, knowing that Lamelo's draft stock wasn't going to be affected regardless. He's fucking Lamelo Ball. RJ probably had, you know, the, had the short end of that stick. And as a 6'6 guard, bro, you really thinking that, hey, I'm 19 years old. He's got a lot of potential, right? And for you to get him that low in the draft means you can you can literally develop that player without any pressure, right? Yet, you're thinking with Jamal Murray there, if you were thinking Jamal Murray goes back to being a two-guard and you have a one-guard next to him, please pardon the noise, then you'd probably be sitting in a situation that's a lot better for Jamal, right? 
yet right now you're sitting in a situation where it may be tougher for Jamal and RJ to share the same court unless Jamal goes to play the two-guard position. So it's one of those things where, again, you drafted well, you drafted the best player on the board at the time, yet at the end of the day, you're going to have to build a squad for right now today. You know, you don't have the luxury as Denver to say, hey, you know, we're building a squad for three, four seasons down the line. It's, it's really not there for you right now. You know, it's literally win now for you or it's not going to be there for a little while and you're going to start having disgruntled players wanting to leave, right, and Joe and Jamal. So, again, Marcus Howard, undrafted guy that they picked up, and Zeke Naji they got with the 22nd pick as well. You know, big man out of Arizona, Nigerian descent. We always want to see African brothers do well as well in the league. You know, 6'11". He can give you some, some more bodies up front, you know. But, again, it's like you need players for right now. We can't really afford to be playing with house money when you're the Nuggets. You know, you played with your house money, you got in this far. Now either you're going to shit or get off the part, right? That's just how it's going to go. Because, I mean, styling Paul Millrock, Paul Millirock, I love Paul Millsap, man. One of those players where he crafted a good career for himself in the league as a vet. You know, at 35, you know, to get another one-year 10 million deal, that was great for him. And you're thinking they're going to have to fix that position for them at power forward long term, right? Because it works for now with Paul Millsap, right? And I think they thought in the short term they can do that with Jermichael Green at 30 years old, two years, 7.1 mil. Um, he's a power forward, bit more like Paul Millsap, I guess more mobile in that sense, where he's like five years younger, it does make a lot more in the league. Great pickup as well, right? Monte Morris was a guy that they re-signed, a good guard for them, and he gives them quality minutes off the bench, and you actually need that in the backcourt, especially whoever spots for Jamal Murray has to come in and be more electric in that backcourt because you don't have too much defending, so at the very least, outscore your opposition's second unit, and you'll stay in the game when Jamal and Joker off the court, right? A guy they picked up who was pretty interesting was Isaiah Hartstein, who was a power forward that was on Houston books. And there's a lot of there's a lot of project players in the league you look at, and I think a lot of teams have picked up on what Detroit managed to do almost every season. And they did well again with Christian Wood, where they developed a guy. Yes, they didn't necessarily get assets back from him, but it, it creates a a better image of you in the league where players are like, you know what, I will take a lower deal with you to prove myself. You know, the Warriors have done well, can't, you know, years after years right now off of that same principle, right? So Isaiah Hartstein is a guy that Denver trying to do that with. And at 22, you have a potential stretch guy, two years, 1.6 million. It really is a no-risk deal for you. And you can see what you have there because potentially he could be your second or third best big when all is said and done this season, right? Because they've, they've actually re-signed Bo Bo, who I think was on a two-way contract last season. Great to see him get an actual contract. Two years, two million. You know, son of Manu Bo. A very interesting prospect because it's seven foot, 500 in infinity, bro. He can actually, like, handle the ball. And it's actually dope to see that if they can work on his body, work on his ad adaptability, understanding the game, work on his physicality across the board on the court, right? And then let's work on the defending. You might have... a a very transcendent player, right? Because it could it could spell a model for something different from players coming out of Africa where you have even taller guys coming into the league but can still play well because that footwork naturally is there for Africans. Now it's okay, teach them the understanding of the game holistically and then get the body there as well and you could have something special. So shout out to Bo Bo for getting his deal. Those are the deals they did in off-season as Denver saying, okay, you set yourself up for the season having made what we call keep it afloat type of moves, right? Because when you look at the depth chart all in all, right, 
in the guard positions in the point, you have Jamal Murray, RJ Hampton, and Fulkan Kampazu was another guy we didn't mention. They signed out of Real Madrid. Yeah, he was at Real Madrid, 29-year-old point guard, you know, playmaking point guard, not the tallest, but more flashy, Luka Doncic-esque is what they're saying, you know, played with Luka at Real Madrid. So one of those interesting prospects that they'll have to work with there, you know, older guy, yes, but you know with the international players, like, easy. It's almost like getting a new kid coming into the league, right? Because you don't really know how to guard him, you don't know how to play him. And as a team, that could actually be your advantage, knowing that teams don't know how to play off of him. And as long as he knows your team system and can understand the league early enough, can be a big asset for you, you know. So that's what they have in the point positions. In the two-guard position, I mean, you're looking at Gary Harris playing there. Monte Morris, who they re-signed, is about 25. P.J. Dozier is 24. Marcus Howard, 21, who was one of the leading scorers in the NCAA last season. So you have guys in there with the potential to back it up outside of Gary Harris, yet if you're asking Gary Harris to be your 3 and D guy and Gary is not adapting to that role, that's one of the positions we're probably going to have to fix as, as Denver going forward anyway, right? That either you get yourself a partner for Jamal who can guard for Jamal and be the 3 and D guy you're looking for or get yourself a scoring complement that can at the very least guard his own position. It's not a minus defender, you know, and at the, you're, working, you're working with better there, you know, than you're working with right now because at the 3 you have Michael Porter Jr. now who is ascending into a borderline all-star player if all things, you know, stay the same, knock on Apple, knock on all things, because that's a, that's a great prospect for Denver, right? You could potentially have your third scorer down the line if maybe you do some business right now to get yourself a third scorer today and work on Porter Jr. as he's your project guy, right? That could do that, that could be well business because, I mean, you have Will Barton backing him up. Yes, you would still need a backup for Porter, but looking at Harris and Will Barton, those are guys you can move on from to upgrade in the two position, right? Knowing you still have Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green right now, that will keep you going for at least the next season and a half, and then you're going to have to do some business to get that done. So either you have Zeke Naji there or Vlako Kansha, who's 23, 6'8", you know, stretch four. Maybe you go in that direction knowing that Zeke Naji's 19. He may grow into that position or you do the business down the line. You have Nikola Jokic right now with center. Isaiah Hartstein is 22. He can back up those minutes. Paul Boston, very young. And then Greg Whittington is, like what, 27 on a, two -year, on a two way deal. He could play himself into some potential minutes as well in that power forward, maybe stretch four position. So you have some things there as Denver the season yet. You're still going to have to look at it and think. Now knowing the start you've had, knowing what the season is now, you know, it's not what it may be, it's what it really is, you're going to have to sit down and consider the business at hand, right? Like the backcourt 3 and D guy that you think Gary Harris is, you're going to have to go get. Because either that or a compliment for Jamal Murray, but right now that's what the Achilles heel in your team is, you know, is that you can put out a decent starting five, but only four of those players are plus players in their position on a good night. That's where you're not going to cut it in the West where you know you're coming up against backcourts that are more often than not stacked with two guys who are either all-stars or borderline all-stars or playing at that caliber, right? And Gary Harris is just not doing that for you. Jamal can do that on some nights and most nights these days, but not every single night, right? So you're going to have to get something in there. To get some added bench shooting would be great, you know, to even maybe do some business to push that power forward transition a bit closer, you know, and say, okay, you know, we have Paul Musa right now, we have Jermichael Green, why don't we go do business to get ourselves a young power forward there right now, and then we'll have bodies to throw at a guy like LeBron James come playoff time, right? Because that's the type of business you're looking at when you, when you, the Denver Nuggets this season. So we thought of a couple of trades, and it was one of those things, man, where it was like, because it's Denver, <laughs> like, you're going to have to get stoned to think of trades for Denver, because, like, <laughs> that's my high city, you know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> So it's like, damn, I had to smoke up and cook up a whole lot of trades and consider 
a lot of possibilities, right? Because it's the whole thing of the West being open sooner rather than later, right? LeBron has won his ring, credit to him. Yes, AD has got a taste of winning, yet if Ron is not there for three, four years, does AD have a chance of sustainable winning? Nah, maybe AD's appetite is only wet for now, right? Then he's going to be suits after one title. So, hey, you have that. Then you have the Warriors still in the picture, right? Yeah, they will probably plateau in the eyes of most people, yet they've managed to do good enough business to keep them in the in the conversation, right? The Clippers, okay, we've seen them do the business. It hasn't worked out first season. This season is make or break for them because then after that, yes, you tied into Paul George. Kawhi hasn't resigned, but why would Kawhi resign if there's no winning there, right? The Suns, they've ascended, and now we don't know what they may be because they're top of the West right now, yet that could be a false dawn, right? You really don't know what it is. The Wolves are not howling for shit. It's like you could get ready for a West opening, right? You can get ready for a big West opening or even just opening up yourself as Denver being that team, right? So as there is moves out there or there are moves out there that could be a lot more predicated upon how the season has started, right? And that's what allowed us to sit back and say, okay, let's watch a couple of games and just read, like, body language, bro. Because <laughs> sometimes that's what you got to do in the league. Sometimes, like, listen, dog, you can tell when a nigga is, like, fucking two passes away from asking out, bro. Like, listen, dog, if Russell Westbrook don't pass me the ball one more time when I'm open, dog, I'm going in there and saying, I want out. Because what's the point of putting up fucking 35, 40 points a night, Bradley? And you have a losing record still. Like, for me, I don't understand it personally. Because, I mean, I understand the business the Wizards did at the time, right? Is that I would always take a fully fit Russell Westbrook over coming back from injury, John Wall. I'm a big John Wall fan. You know what I'm saying? Gillerinas couldn't tell us how to John Wall, bro. Like, I love John Wall. But we're not playing that game, bro. Russell Westbrook is an all-NBA performer right now, today. So you can understand why the Wizards did that deal, right? Right now, he's averaging a triple-double. But you're sitting there saying he's scoring less points. I think his rebounding numbers and his, and, his, and his assist numbers are always going to be, especially the assist numbers on a team like this, yet he needs a different kind of complimentary star because Danny Avenja is that guy that told us he's going to be, I feel. You know what I'm saying? He's 19, just turned 20, I think. Yeah, that kid's the real deal, right? Bertrand is still fucking shooting lights out, you know. Rui Hachimura came back and balled, bro. So Rui is the real deal. And then you look at what fucking Bryant is doing down low, and you're like, wait a minute, are these numbers sustainable? I don't know, but this nigga's putting up, like, what, 18 and something every single night? Come on, bro, it's a double-double machine. So you look in this thing, if Russ gets more complimentary pieces that he doesn't have to feed, and Russ becomes the leading scorer on that Washington ball club, then we're talking about a Washington team that maybe is in a winning position end of the season right now it's not built that way right and to build it that way means maybe trading Bradley and I think we've seen enough of disgruntled superstars within the league right that we have to have reached a point I feel even if it's for the front office the very because I think we as fans have reached that point where I don't want to see a star have to be disgruntled and throw a ball at a fucking ball boy or come in there and beat the whole fucking first string with the second string or not, a, not come to fucking training camp just so they can get a trade, bro. If you know somebody is disgruntled, why are you holding on to them? Get the best possible deal right now. And I feel with Washington, you could show everybody in the league, at least personally, I'm speaking for me, if I was a player in the league right now, or I have a kid coming to the league, and then I see a team that has the, the wherewithal to sit down with a player and say, you know what, you want out, bro, or you're going to want out soon because we're not moving on the timeline that you want to move on. Where do you want to go? Or better yet, we have places where they have assets that we want. Do you want to go there? Can we strike a deal for you? 
Because then everybody wins. Then when we see it on the fucking tick and Rachel Nichols announces it like, yo, Bradley Beal traded, it's like, yo, it makes sense. Bradley was going to want out anyway, right? And if you're going to move Bradley, move Bradley to a situation that you okay with. So for Denver, I feel you are that team where, <laughs> granted, the way we have it set up, I don't think Washington would do this business without getting a Michael Porter Jr. back. Yet I try to do this trade without having to give up MPJ because that's a key asset in what you're trying to build right now as a squad, right? MPJ is one of those players where if you're adding him to a Bradley Beal and everything else in that squad is, you have a potential winning team out west, right? Yet if you have to give up MPJ to get Brad Beal, I don't know, bro. With that, with that three, big three of Jamal, Bradley, and Joker, yeah, you can still go, I feel, far in the West, but I don't think you're a win-at-all team. With MPJ, you have that extra ceiling where, regardless of what you are this season, you will definitely be better next season. With Bradley coming in now with Jamal and them, I mean, you are what you are after that. And we see it in the case of a team like Boston, you would like that extra room for growth, bro, because sometimes what you are right now, other teams can adjust to that, but what you may be, maybe they can't adjust to that, right? So you you be what you are right now with room for growth, and you can actually be something special down the line. So we try to cook up a three-team trade that would at least incentivize Washington not having to ask for Michael Porter Jr. back, right? And then as Denver, as a result of having to go all in on your picks and giving up your young players, you would have to get back somebody who can give you minutes in the power forward position that would, in a sense, be make weight that this is our starting power forward next season. Paul Millsap will earn his $10 million. We'll find him a ball club to move on to end of season so that we keep Jermichael Green for one year as the backup, and then this guy we trade for is our starting power forward who will pay down the line, and we have a full starting five. So that was my mindset going into the trade, and I feel we cooked up something that would be, you know, good enough to win in the West, you know? Like, I feel... Even with Braun and them being as good as they are, even with the Warriors potentially coming back and being pretty good, the Clippers being good as they potentially may be, this squad would be good enough to at the very least finish one, two, or three out west. So we're just going to finish off the trade for you and read it all. Just fuck the blonde real quick. The fire up the trade machine. Blood. Like, fire up the trade machine and the blood. It's a loud boot podcast, bro. You know how that goes. So here, as we have it, is Bradley Beal going to Denver. Now you have a 27-year-old shooting guard, 6'3", three years, 28.7 million, bro. That's a very that's a very good contract for a superstar who's giving you 30.6 points, 5 rebounds, 4.7 assists already this season, right? Without him having to come and ask out, you trading him and say, we found a team for you, Bradley. We're moving you to Denver in a three-team trade. That involves Laurie Markkinen going to Denver as well. 23-year-old stretch four, who's on the last jaw of his deal, $6.7 million, his rookie deal. You know, at six-some-ten, I mean, I don't even think they've measured him yet because his stats aren't coming up for measurements. But, I mean, he's six-something stretch, stretch, long, long, you know, pause. I mean, 17.3 points, 6.8 rebounds, 1.3 assists. No new deal there, and I don't think there's a point in either side wanting to resign in Chicago because he's transcended to being what he is. And Chicago, I don't think, is ready for what he may be right now on that timeline where all they have is him and Zach Levine. And even Zach, they may have to move on and get assets because they haven't moved for that level, right? So to get assets right now as Chicago, that would be great to be able to move on from Laurie Marketing and get some assets back, right? Brad Beal going to Denver for Washington to be able to get Gary Harris, who's a 26-year-old shooting guard, like we're saying. It hasn't panned out for Gary in Denver anymore because I feel like early on it was like Jamal and Joker when Nurk and Joker were still figuring it out. Then you always knew between Gary Harris and Will Barton, somebody would be like their third guy, right? 
then Michael Porter Jr. was drafted and ascended the way he did, and he's now going to be the third guy or the fourth guy. I think the adaptation for Gary, right, knowing I have to be the 3 and D guy, is like, uh, that's not his game, and that's a fact. It's not his game at all. So you're asking, like, you're asking the fish to climb a tree, and right now you can see in the production, like, it's giving you 8 points, 1.9 rebounds, 1.6 assists. It's not working for a guy who's on a two-year, 19.1 million deal, bro. He's 6'4". How's he supposed to be your... I mean, he, you can be a lockdown defender 6'4". Let me not be facetious, but if you don't apply yourself to it and you don't trade for that and you don't trade for it, it's going to be hard. And that's what you see right now for Gary Hare, bro. He's finding it hard. You know, and I feel you'd be better suited putting Gary Harris in a situation where it's like, you know what, we're not going to ask you to be something you're not. We'll move you on from the situation, right, and get somebody who, at the very least, Bradley Beal is not a negative defender. I'm not sipping that for dramatic effect, Brad. Like, I really don't think you're a negative defender. I haven't checked the stats or nothing, but, I'm, like, you know, the eye test says Brad Beal can fucking guard his own position, you know? And at the very least, next to Jamal, have that. And I think somebody like Brad Beal, if he knows I'm not the I'm not the facilitator and I'm not necessarily the leading scorer. In Denver, I think you can actually be the leading scorer as Denver, as as as, uh, as Bradley Beal because, like, Joker doesn't have to put up 30 every night. Jamal doesn't have to put up 30 every night. If you have a go-to guy who can put up 30 every night and Jamal can average a double-double with points and assists and Joker can average a double-double with points and assists or even a triple-double points, rebounds, and assists, you have a winning combination that is consistent because you know Brad is going to score. You know Jamal is going to facilitate. So between the two of them, all they have to do is just find a better defensive scheme that works for that, right? Then you can actually be a plus defensive team as well across the board, knowing in the wing positions, Michael Porter Jr., the length alone allows you to be able to have a plus defender in him once you work on the footwork and everything else. Power forward position, you have Paul Milnirago, you have Laurie Markinen, you have somebody who can guard their position, still give you rebounding. Joker's going to be the anchor of that defense, you know? To wrap it up for Washington or to finish the trade as a whole, like I'm going crazy because I actually like the trade quite a lot, right? Will Barton, right, is a player who is going to have to be a make weight in a deal like this. Yes, for Washington to take back Will Barton's two year, 13.7 million deal is more thinking next season, right? Saying next season is going to be a contract that somebody else will possibly want and we can be able to flip for more picks, right? But right now, he will give you good minutes in a squad that has good wings around Russ, right? Where all you need is some 3 and D guy, 3 and D guys around Russ now. When you know if you have Russ, Gary Harris, Denny Avenger, Rui uh Rui Hachimura, Davis Petrans, you know, Bryant and that team, you have a team that can actually play itself into the playoffs in the East, right? Yes, with Bradley, you figured on paper it was supposed to be that type of team, but it hasn't panned out that way because that clash. Like, for Brad, it was like, okay, when John Wall was out, it became my team, but it was still John's team when John comes back, right? Then you trade for Russ. It's supposed to be Russ is coming to help me, but now it's still Russ's team. has got the footprint of Russ, yet I'm still putting out numbers. We're still not winning. Something's going to have to give eventually, right? You're 27 as Brad Bill. You want to win, eventually will you win while you're still able to do all you can to win. You don't want to go ring chasing, quote unquote, later on in your career. Rather go for this. You know, right now, pardon me, I'm going to win. You can call it ring chasing if you want, but I'm going to put myself in a situation where I can possibly win soon. That make, pardon me, that makes sense to me, right? And for Washington to get back Gary Harris, a guy you can start over the next two years and then re-up him on a deal that is more workable for you depending on his performance at 26, Will Barton at 30. That covers you player-wise, right? Knowing... Yes, they're young players you could want to get from this, but if you're Washington right now, you're on a timeline where you kind of know your ball club. It would be nice to have assets like picks to be able to strengthen your ball club down the line when you need to go pick up one or two players in a playoff run, right? 
And that's what Denver has a possibility to offer you, right? More than most teams when we talk about Bradley Beal. Is that most teams who want Bradley Beal can give you a young player and some expiring contracts, but the picks won't be as interesting, right? Even if Denver's giving you their own picks, if they're giving you current picks and picks way down the line once this experiment may have been blown up, you soft as, 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 as Washington because you can flip those picks or keep them. Either way, you're in a good position. So the 2021 first rounder from Denver, 2025 and 2027 first rounder from Denver, plus the 2023, 2024, and 2025 second rounders from Denver gives you six picks plus two players. Which when one is technically an expiring contract and one is technically a young player that hasn't panned out yet, but you still have enough room in the young playerness where this is the pivotal year of his development at 26 that you could get it right right now with him and it clicks full term and you have a borderline all-star caliber player that we thought he was when he was averaging, what, 15, 16 points a season, a couple seasons back. Then you have something special in Washington next to Russ, right? Those picks guarantee you. And for Bradley, you move him on to a winning situation where... You could move him on to, say, the Lakers. What do you really get back, even if you're getting a Kyle Kuzma right now? You know, aside from that, I mean, the Clippers, same thing. You're getting older guys. so You're not getting younger guys, and the picks aren't going to be that great per se, right? So I feel right now it's one of the better trades where we haven't actually looked into trades for Bradley Beal because it was always the thought of that, that I, I think no trade will be done for Bradley Beal without Bradley and Washington say so. I know it sounds crazy to say, but not all trades have the player and the team say so. Sometimes it's the player saying, I want out, and that's where I want to go, and if you don't do it there, then fuck y'all. Sometimes the team saying, you are going, and that's where you're going. If you don't care, fuck you. So right now I think it's going to be one of those trades where both sides are going to sit down and agree to, like, I want to go there, you're going to get the best possible assets there, or you okay with that. That deal there let's do the business you know for Chicago to be involved in that deal I felt Laurie Markin is a guy they're really high on and even if just keeping him for the remainder of his contract it seems like one of those things where they're looking to trade him eventually in Sao High otherwise they will re-sign him or put a qualifying offer on the table because they have his early bird rights that allow them to pay him more than anybody else so either way, they're playing the long game. I just think they didn't want it to affect their salary and their finances this season. It's fucked up for Laurie because it would be nice to see him rewarded for the seasons he's had down the line, right? The past two, three seasons for Laurie have been pretty good. You know, right now, averaging those 17 buckets that we're saying, like 6.8 rebounds, he's been playing pretty well, right? And to be rewarded with a new deal, I feel, would actually reaffirm him in what he's doing and allow him to keep doing what he's doing. But if you're not going to give him that new deal, move him on to a situation where he could possibly get that money and get that playing time. In, in the winning position, in a winning situation like Denver could do for him, right? So for Chicago to get R.J. Hamilton, like we said, a 6-6 point guard, a good a good pickup for, for Denver when you drafted him. Yet If you have to give him up to get Bradley Beal, dog, I do that all day, right? Zeke Nanji ditto for him where Chicago can get two young guys who were drafted this season, you know, 22 and 24 respectively. Good prospects that you can actually... They, they, they're better than their draft, their draft pick status, right? Like, where they were picked is not really how good they are compared to this year's draft, right? So you're thinking about it saying, hey, we're getting two guys that can slot into our rotation this season, and we're getting some picks back for Laurie Markkinen, you know? And you're thinking about, like, that wouldn't be too bad. That wouldn't be too bad because, I mean, you're thinking 2022 second rounder via four from Washington via either Chicago, Detroit, or L.A., it would probably either be... Yeah, it'll be either Chicago, Detroit, or the Lakers. It'll probably going to be Chicago or Detroit that pick is about the most favorable. Detroit or Chicago, you're thinking it may probably fall closer to Detroit than Chicago, but you may be getting your own pick back in that sense. 2023, you're going to get the pick from Washington second rounder 
uh, via Chicago, which is basically getting your own pick back. 2026, you'll get Denver second rounder. 2027, you get Denver second rounder, which gives you four second round picks. Two of them are technically yours, or one and a half of them is yours. Two of them are Denver's, and you get two guys who are actual first-round picks this season. Where we always say, like, picks are nothing until they turn into... I mean, picks are everything until they have to turn into players on draft night. Then you're sitting there like, is he good enough for that value of production that I need from a guy who are drafted at that level, right? For RJ Hampton and Zeke Nanji, they were drafted good enough where, like, they're getting paid $2 million each, you know what I'm saying, over the next four years. The production they're going to give you is way higher, especially with increased you know, with increased roles in, in, in a team like Chicago, that's good business, you know, because for, for for Denver, right, you thinking, make a free agent signing of either Andre Robeson or Iman Shumpert to give you some defense in that backcourt, get Marco Bellinelli for shooting, in the wing positions you covered, you have a squad that can really go for it, right, because with those trades considered, I'm thinking your depth chart now looks like what, Jamal Murray, a point guard, Fukun Campazzo at the backup with P.J. Dozier, Bradley Beal at the two with Monte Morris, um, Iman or Robeson as the backups there with Marcus Howard available as well. At the three, you have MPJ with Marco Beninelli coming off the bench giving you shooting. At the four, you still have Laurie Marketing who can sometimes even give you minutes at the three when you're playing Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green. At the five, you still have Nikola Jokic, you have Isaiah Hardstein, and you have Bob Borg to give you a couple spotting minutes there and throw some bodies at some bigs. You have a team that is good enough to win the West or at least finish top three and have four or five games in between you, right, for about who's first in the West. And if things open up like they did last season, you're good enough to go as far as you did last season and possibly even win it all. And it looks like one of those type of seasons where because of no fans, right, because of COVID and you don't know, sometimes players can be out and it's COVID. It's not injury proneness or anything like that. It's not game management, right? That could that could change a lot and it changes a lot. We've seen on a nightly basis that it changes a lot, right? Sometimes a team could not have the star players and win as a result of not having the star players. You know, Philly didn't have their star players. They lost to, I mean, they had their star players lost to Brooklyn who didn't have their star players for a game, right? And Philly were undefeated at that point. So it's like anything can happen this season, bro. You got to open it up for yourself to be able to be in that conversation. And I think those trades would do it for you if you're Denver, right? A conversation came to mind, right? I'm like, shit, we need a smoke break for this one, bro. Like, <laughs> like real talk, right? <laughs> Denver in one of those precarious situations where after having had a taste of winning, right? <laughs> Even if that winning means they got to the Western Conference Finals and they lost to the Lakers who won the title. That's like winning. Right? That's like winning. Because if the Clippers had gotten there and lost the Lakers who won the title, we'd be like, hey, it's like a win for them because next time we can go better. If this season they don't go better and they've started the way they started the season and they don't even get in the playoffs or they're a play-in team, there could be a lot of disgruntlement in that dressing room, bro. Real talk. That one was a dramatic pause. <laughs> Like, there could be a lot of disgruntlement in that dress room. Thinking about, like, Jamal Murray. Like, we saw Marvin Bagley third dad be, like, vocal. Jamal's got a pretty involved dad. And after seeing what his son did, you know, shut up his critics and all that last season. Or come damn near close. If you still talk your shit, then that's on you. It's like, he showcased that he's good enough for the next level. Nikola Jokic is a transcendent big man, bro. Where insert him next to any other top five, arguably top ten 
dare I say top 15 All-NBA guy. Nikola wins the ring. Guarantee Nikola Jokic wins the ring, bro. Because he just needs the right type of talent around him. I'm not saying Jamal's not the right type of talent. He's got the potential to be that type of player, but I don't know if Nikola Jokic has that. I mean, we've seen him work on his body, get in shape, but it's like... Damn, we know how it is with big dog. By the time he reaches 26, 27, 28, we don't know how the body's going to be taken at all, you know. So it's like he kind of needs to start winning now. At the very least, get the first one out the way, you know. And I think for Denver, that's the risk of, that's the risk they run with what they did this season, knowing if you do the Brad Beal business, great. You may be a year, two, two years, three years closer to winning the ring, right? As in, you could compete this season and go far if it opens up. Otherwise, next season, you're definitely in the conversation. Third season, you should be winning it all, right? Maybe Joker doesn't have that time. Maybe Joker's like, I need to be in the playoffs this season. Which you can't guarantee the way you started. I need to be in the finals of the West and win, which you can't guarantee with the business you've done. And I need to win it all, which you really can't guarantee. Just looking at the field, if I have to take you versus the field this season, who wins? I take the field all day. For me personally, if the Warriors are in the playoffs, I take the Warriors over you. Just being there and having done it and having learned from it. I want to see your ball club having learned from that, right? And one of the things that I would say you've learned from it personally, I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do and how to do your business and um, but I mean, we mediologists, like, you know, we just dog on this shit, you know? <laughs> so in my Stephen A. Smith impression, I'm saying, y'all got to go do some Real talk, because if y'all go in there right now and say, the market is soft on James Harden, apparently, because teams don't want to give up their best assets. Okay. How about you go in there with the best possible offer for James Harden on paper at face value, which is, in a sense, the best possible offer for James Harden down the line as well, right? Because going to Denver is perfect for James because then he can go back to playing two. If they don't want, if he doesn't want to play two, then Jamal can go back to playing two. But at the very least, in that experiment, you have more score for growth where it's not like the Russ and James thing where it's like, okay, Russ has been a two his whole life. He's not going to learn how to play. He's been a one his whole life. He's not going to learn how to play two. James was a two who learned how to play one, so he can go back to playing two, but does he want to? You know what I'm saying? Pun intended. Now with Jamal, it's like, okay, he's tasted being the leading scorer, right? Maybe he wants to be the leading scorer, not the facilitator, and James is okay being with the facilitator. Maybe James is like, okay, I don't care about having the ball in my hands all the time. I just want to be able to shoot it as many times as I can shoot it. I right, cool with James. We won't give that responsibility because it's like we can play through York and you shooting on one wing, Jamal shooting on one wing. Unplayable, unplayable that, right? So Denver probably going to be in that conversation if they're wise enough to say, you know what, James? The Mile High City, you know what I'm saying? You can smoke out all you want, you know, have have a good time. A bit away from the media spotlight that he's accustomed to in Houston, right? Get him out there and say, let's experiment for it. You're on a three-year deal, bro. Let's give it two years. If in the last year you're unhappy, we'll trade you wherever you want to go. You know what I'm saying? Because right now he's putting up the numbers again, like 33, 10.8, 4.8, when he is available and playing, right? He had a 31, like... Come on, bro. Like, James himself has to start wanting to win. That's why he wants out, right? 
yet the team was where he wants to go to, they're not willing to give up the assets that they should be giving up for him, which shows just how much people actually think of him. Denver would be a place where he can show everybody what he thinks of himself, right? And for Houston to get back a kid like RJ Hampton, right, at 19 years old, we've discussed that. Like, yes, you have John Wall, yet RJ can play off of John Wall and work on his shooting that way, right? Where he can play, make a facilitator of John Wall that can play off of each other. Yet you have a 6'6 backcourt guy who can actually defend for John Wall, right? Get Gary Harris to be able to insert on the wing as a straight shooter at 26, two years, 19.1 million. Next year, you can trade that contract as a make weight contract. Somebody else who wants an expiring contract, right? Get a pick or two in return. Will Barton is dead toward 27, right? Um, rather 30, knowing that he's got a two year deal at 13.7 million, right? Again, 11.3 points, 4.7 rebounds, 3 assists. He can give you good production right now if you're trying to be a winsome team as Houston are looking like being in this transition where them pieces plus Zeke Nanji as a power forward knowing you paid Chris Wood, right? You paid DeMarcus, but he's your experiment to see what works out. In case shit happens, you can have Zeke Nanji. That would be dope for you knowing you getting pieces back that can work today. For James Harden, that they're not going to score 33 points, none of them combined right now this season, right? Yet, right, right individually, they're not going to put up 33 points average, right? But combined, they can give you something closer to what you would need to back up what Harden is going to be taking away from that squad to keep you competitive and make a job better where now it becomes John Wall's team. And we can see what it can be with John Wall's team for a chance, right? For you to get some picks back for 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 James Harden would be essential. Denver doesn't have much to give up, but the picks we spoke about before was the 2021 Denver pick. Then you have the 2025-2027 first rounders, right? You have room where right now this season coming pick, it won't be a lottery pick by any stretch of the imagination in 2021. But in 25 and 27, you don't know what happens post the James Harden experiment. And then they're giving you all their second rounders, like the 2023, 24, 25, 26, and 27. You're like, fuck it. At the very least, we'll be picking in the second round. We can just pick out guys who will be falling, and then we'll be identifying them to come in. There'll be more player development in Houston. That could work out pretty well for you, I feel. On both sides with Houston, you get back players that you need right now to replace James going down the line and build up on your new timeline. Denver, you get what you need in a superstar that can complement Joker and what Murray potentially may be. Again, you have to dip into free agency, get yourself a guy like Evan Turner who's 32 but is 6'6", one-year, 2.3 million deal, a great guy to back up minutes in that position. Then go get yourself a stretch 3-4 guy like Mario Henshoza who's 25 and I don't understand why he's out the league yet. You can understand sometimes discipline problems being something for some other players yet. To get him on a one-year, 1.7 mil contract, that would be great for you knowing that now as Denver, you are built to win it all, bro. If anything, like, you can literally say to Jamal, bro, yo, this is now Nicola's team and we're playing to make it on Nicola's timeline. And then after that experiment of Nicola and James is over, then it becomes your team. Get along to go along. Fuck it, bro. We're moving you back to the two. That's leadership because you, you're allowing him to go learn how to win so that when it's time for him to win alone, he's got a ring or two in his pocket or he's been to two or three more finals or he's been to, you know, an NBA finals, you know? Fuck it, bro. So going James Harden at the point, P.J. Dozier, Fulcan Campazzo, Jamal Murray at the two with Monte Morris, Marcus Howard. Yes, you top heavy. Yet you're top heavy. You're two starting guys, bro. That's a tough one because if you stagger those minutes with the bench, bro, it's going to be hard to play MPJ, uh, Mario Henchosa, Evan Turner 
on coming in there with Paul Millsap, Jamichael Green, Vladimir Kansha, Nikola Jokic, Isaiah Hartstein, and Paul Ball as your bigs. It's like, dog, choose it how you want. You can play Harden and Jokic with some bench guys. You can play Murray and fucking Harden with some bench guys. You can you can switch it up and go Jokic with Murray and some bench guys. And MPJ still in the squad. You need any time you need him to be in there as your fourth or third, second guys. You know. You have so much more to work with, bro. And I feel down the line, even if the Harden experiment doesn't work and you have to trade him a season earlier than you expected, which is basically the season after this one, then you sit in there saying, okay, cool, you've got two years left in his contract. We can get some good assets back from him, move Jamal back to the one. We still have MPJ. We still have Joker. Yo, we can still go back in again. That's the type of window you want to open up for yourself where it's like, dog, again, we're playing with house money. Because I think Denver played better with house money than when they're under pressure. <laughs> we saw what kind of happened last season when House money turned into you winning now. What you going to do? And they folded in the finals. You know, and they come back this season. You can see they're a wounded animal, you know, tail between their legs. So it would be nice to see them get a, a boost of, of fresh energy coming to that dressing room, knowing that James could be infectious, right? Like, James fucking Harden is a different type of player, bro, especially when you put him in the right environment. We saw what happened early on in Houston when he was Houston. Then they started trying to make it about James winning right now, and then they didn't make the right kind of moves, Daryl Morey and the likes. It kind of fucked up the energy then. That's why it's a bit more toxic right now, and James wants out. Yes, he is culpable for making it toxic, but fuck it, dog. Like, he's saying, let me remove myself, and y'all get a better start, you know? So right now they've done well getting, you know, John Wall coming in for Russell Westbrook. Chris Wood, DeMarcus Cousins, and them good pickups across the board. Now continue from there, bro, to get back some of these young players for James Harden. Dog, some of these picks. My G, again, like it's one of those things where I think it will endear you well to everybody else where saying, hey, he wanted out. He was forcing himself to go to teams who weren't giving you the best offers. You found a place where you can get good young players for him and some picks, plus put him in a good situation. Again, when we're looking from the outside, you good by us. You know what I'm saying? In our books, you good, Houston. You know what I'm saying? We we got no, we got nothing against you. If anything, we maybe look at James Squad like, yo, come on, dog. Like, maybe you should have just gotten and talked to them about it properly, and you could have still got the deal where you wanted it, but without the fuss, because another nigga strong on them, because you were acting out. That's what it is. But to see a resolution to the situation is more than anything we wanted to see. And this is one of the places where. You know, we've looked at a couple landing spots in the series of trades that we've done so far for James. Yeah, this is one of those where you're thinking, damn, James Harden, dog, you could make out good over here. So with that, with that, with that being said, bro, thank you for vibing with us. This has been Two Second Round Picks in the Fax Machine. Let us know what you think about the trades and the moves we made. Let us know if you think that would do well for your team if you're a Denver fan, if you're a Houston fan or a Chicago fan. You know what I'm saying? I'm a Washington fan, and you're like, yo, that shit would, you know, also do good for us. You know, let us know what the vibes is. You know, as always, we'll run it back and post the trades, you know. Um, let us know what it is, man. It's love always, man. Two second round picks in the fax machine. A loud booth podcast presentation. I'm your host, True Story, man. Peace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>